What's up, guys? Welcome back to another daily Bible reading snapshot. Today, we're looking at Genesis 15, 16, and 17. And God is continuing to deal with Abraham, and he's making promises to Abraham. Really, it's in Genesis 15, the same type of promises that are repeated. But in this instance, God does something to prove that he is going to fulfill these promises. He actually takes all these animals and has Abraham cut them, and, and he walks through the middle of them in this weird ceremony. What is that about? It's kind of odd, right? Well, the word to make a covenant is the same word that means to cut. So to cut a covenant is the literal way of, of translating that. So he's saying, I'm cutting the covenant and promising that both sides will fulfill their obligations here. God is going to make a promise to Abraham and he's going to fulfill it. What's the promise? Well, that he's going to make this big nation that Abraham is supposed to look up to the stars. And God says, well, look up to the stars. More than that, you'll have kids. All the stars that you can see, you can only see a couple thousand, but you are going to have a huge, vast group of people that are going to come from you. Even though at this point, remember, he and Sarah did not have any kids. And there's an interesting verse in verse six here, Genesis 15, six, it says, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So that's the New Testament idea and wording of justification. And we even see this quoted in Romans chapter four, that Abraham believed God and he's justified, not when he does a bunch of good things for God, but when he trusts in God. That's when Abraham, so to speak, got saved. That's when he trusted in, in the Lord for the first time. Well, we see here in chapter 15 that when he trusted, God accounted that to him as righteousness. So in chapter 15, we see that, but also in chapter 15, remember who's the original audience? Well, these Israelites that have come out of Egypt. It says in verse 13, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, and I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. That is basically a commentary on the situation that the Israelites were in at the time this was written. So what do we want to see? God had their slavery and their redemption in mind before it happened. God knew it and he even told Abraham about it. I just find that interesting because if I'm one of these um, Israelites who just came out of slavery, I might want to doubt God and say, well, was God really in control all those hundreds of years? Did this really go according to God's plan? Is he really powerful enough to save us? Is he really powerful enough to bring us into the land that he's promising us? Well, he promised to Abram that this was going to happen. And he also promised that they'd take the land afterwards. So that would give them faith in the meantime to trust God for the promises he's made about their future. So I just think that's interesting. So speaking of trust in God for the future, chapter 16 is the drama between Sarai and Hagar, where they lack trust in God. And, and Hagar, it says, as a kid with Abram, and it's something interesting, when she Gave, or she conceived, it says she looked with contempt on her mistress. So she looked at her boss and said, ooh, yeah, you're a bad person. When she conceived, so it's interesting. She um, really is pretty proud in this situation. And because of that, Sarah returns the favor and treats her terribly, so much so that Hagar has to run away. And it says she runs away, but God confronts Hagar and says, return to your mistress and submit to her. Submit to your boss here. Submit to Sarah. And she's going to treat you better, which even though she didn't treat her super well, she did treat her better. Um, and God promised to Hagar, I will multiply your offspring too. So Ishmael, your baby boy, yeah, he is going to be a great nation too. 
and Hagar, this this weird character in the Bible who's not really a good character, she says, I know that you are a God of seeing. The idea is that God knows and God sees his people and he He knows them and he, he understands the situation. Now, chapter 17, another sign of the covenant. This is another um, thing that's going to take place that's going to remind people that God made a promise. He's going to enact the covenant of, of circumcision where these people are going to be circumcised. All the males... Uh, Abraham, all his family and beyond are going to be circumcised as a as a lasting, permanent thing on their bodies to prove and to show that they are part of God's chosen people. Very interesting, um, very painful. Uh, it probably was a bad day for Abraham. I know it's not a great day for him and for his people in his household, but it says that in this day, Isaac was promised to be born. God was going to do something um, with Sarah and she was going to give birth to a son, even though she was like 90 years old. So we're going to see more of that played out tomorrow. But the but the thing we got to take away is God makes promises and keeps promises. And he wants you to trust him in the meantime. That's the challenge. It's not challenging to look back and see how God kept his promises. It's challenging to trust God right now that he will keep his promises for the future. That's harder for us. And that's why we need to be people... Um, like Jesus is going to talk about in Matthew chapter 5, well, he's actually going to talk about in Matthew chapter 6, people who should be anxious for nothing. So speaking of Matthew chapter 5, right here in the middle, yesterday we saw that pattern where Jesus said, you heard it was said of old, this, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not divorce, all these things, right? These commandments of God. Right? You heard that, but the real heart of it was even more than that. It included that, but it included more than just murder. It included hatred. Don't hate. It included, with this one, first thing, committing adultery. He says, you can claim, well, I haven't committed adultery. Then that means I'm pure before God. Well, that's not the case because he says, even if you look with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. So the idea here is the people are supposed to look at this and say, I have had a low standard of God's law. God's law is bigger, grander, higher, harder to attain than even I thought before. And we're supposed to look and say, Jesus is the only righteous one. But further, we're all supposed to say, if we're going to live as Jesus's righteous people in the world, we got to reflect these values. And we need to obey God by saying, I'm not going to even lust, not just not commit adultery. That's one thing, but also not lust. Then it says here, um, divorce, don't get divorced. That's the, he says, unless um, it's on the grounds of sexual immorality. If you marry somebody who who was divorced, says even that is committing adultery. Basically, the idea of yeah, I'd rather leave my spouse to marry that person. That sounds like a good idea. God says that's like committing adultery. It's evil in God's sight. He does. He says don't do it. Then he says oaths. Don't make promises that that you're not going to keep, and don't swear by heaven or earth. Just say yes or no. Which again, we should be people of the truth. If you're a Christian. God says in Proverbs 6 that he hates lying lips, okay? So we as Christians need to be people who say yes and no and mean what we say without exaggeration, without any of that. So be people who mean what we say. Then it says, you heard it was said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, which again, that's a good rule. That was a helpful law in the Old Testament that kept people from enacting more revenge than they should. I mean, you could imagine somebody saying, you know, they got their tooth knocked out, right? Well, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, kill somebody because they knocked my tooth out. Well, that would have been unjust. They deserve to have their tooth knocked out, but not for them to be killed for that, right? That would have been um, not the right payment. It wouldn't have been a just retribution. So here it says, um, you've heard it was said that, but here's what Christians need to do when it comes to their interpersonal relationships. Not with the law, because we're not talking about, um, we're not talking about the government and the law. We, we've already seen that 
that even in Genesis chapter nine, that they have the power to do that. But here it says, don't take revenge. Like you are taking the law into your own hands. Be a person who's willing to forgive, be a person who's willing to even be persecuted. Like again, suffering persecution, like Paul and like Peter are going to later on in the new Testament, they're not fighting back. They're not um, taking up the sword and fighting back. Well, why? It's an unjust punishment they're receiving. That's what it says in 1 Peter 4, that they're treated unjustly. Absolutely. Just like Jesus was. And that's what he says here. Further, he says something harder to do. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus is offering a high standard to us, which if you examine your life, when it comes to lust, when it comes to oaths and retaliation and loving your enemies, where do you stand with that? Are we living up to the kingdom values that Jesus gives here? Or are we saying, well, I guess I don't really have to do that. Far be it from us for, for looking down on the word of God. We better not do that. And what it says here at the end, it says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Although we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, God does want Christians to do these things righteously. As a Christian now, you are set free from slavery to sin, and now you are a slave to God and a slave that you're supposed to present your body and your members and your whole life to God as instruments of righteousness. We're supposed to do what's right. So when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, there's so much here to apply. So think about it and take it and apply it to your life today. So we'll see you back tomorrow from the Daily Bible Reading Snapshot.